Welcome, it is me, Howard H. Smith, he of Talking Bollocks, that is what I will be doing. Here is the standard intro, my name is Howard H. Smith, um, this is my podcast Talking Bollocks, I am a lead singer with UK thrash band Acid Rain, you can find us at acidrain.co.uk, Acid Rain, spelled R-E-I-G-N, um, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, find us everywhere. Also, I've been doing stand-up comedy for the last 20 years um, as myself and not so much these days as character Keith Platt, keithplatt.co.uk, Keith Platt, on Twitter, on Facebook um, and all the rest of it. And of course, you're listening to this podcast, this podcast that you can find on Facebook. You can also find me uh, on Twitter at Talking Bollocks, but CKZ at the end instead of CKS. Um, Come join the fun and um, hello, welcome, welcome back if you are a regular bollocker and welcome to those of you who I know are new, those of you who um, have shown an interest already in uh, this very special episode. So obviously, um, you guys listening for the first time, normally I talk a load of shit up front, uh, some of it funny, some of it just total bollocks, hence the name, um, and uh, that usually goes on for about 15 minutes and then we stick an interview in. So uh, go back through the back catalogue, um, there's some really cool stuff in there, um, find us on iTunes, find us on any podcast app, if you can't find me, if you can't find us, um, tweet me um, on the to- on the Talking Bollocks uh, Twitter account, or you can, you can get me at how- good old fashioned email. Howard at Talking Bollocks, sorry, Howard at AllAboutTheRock.co.uk, reminding me that um, AllAboutTheRock.co.uk is the website that hosts this very thing, this very podcast, this bollocast. We're also on YouTube. You can listen there if, if need be. Not on SoundCloud, so sorry do to us, but there you go. We're pretty much everywhere else. And like I said, for those of you who are new, please do share the podcast. Please do make people aware of it. Really trying to, uh, really trying to up the ante here. Trying to get more than one a month out. Be really good if you could help. Um, and uh, and that's it. I think that's a big enough plug. Two minutes at the top of just plug, plug, plug. Me, me, me. So I think that's enough. Okay. So, um, with these, when I do a podcast special, it tends to be um, a different format. I will just uh, and and uh, just go for it and get the interview going, and that's what's going to happen here. Um, James was originally um, down to do. Um, sorry, James. James Murphy um, was originally down. Uh, just as an interview, and I was getting he was going to be appear on um, one of the podcasts as normal. Um, but as our chat unfolded, um, we ended up talking for one hour fifty minutes. So um, I just thought that's way too. That's that's. It, I don't know. It just felt it felt special. No, special. It felt special, and um, I think it is. Now, for those of you um, who just can't wait for the the music chat, the music chat is coming. Okay, it is coming, but this. You can imagine one hour fifty minutes. It's not all hilarious tour stories and things like that. Um, it is quite in depth, even though I say so myself. Um, it starts out. We 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 start out with um, a little bit of chat about politics. Funnily enough, no, don't get turned off. It's not you know. It's not all. It's not what you're expecting. Um, but then there is a there's a very very. I don't mean to give all this away, but I'm just trying to preempt people. Kind of like I, I don't know, thinking this is going to be something that isn't. It is. The whole thing, it's a very, very, hence one hour, 50 minutes, it's a very rounded conversation. So you will also find out why James left slash was kicked out of Testament. Um, uh, it, it all, it's, it's, it's all within the first 50 minutes. There is some very, very interesting stuff in there and you'll find out why he disappeared off the, disappeared? <laughs> disappeared off the face of the planet. Um, for a good few years, and then suddenly reemerged. You will basically find this, find out the story of how James lost everything, and I mean everything, 
and then managed to work his way back. It's really interesting stuff. If you're remotely interested, I mean, this guy's a legend. He's played on some of the greatest death metal albums ever, um, and and his his output even today is still superb. Um, got some. I mean, he sent me he sent me the the Daff album that he produced. He's um, it's, it, which is so kind. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's it's it, it was a real experience. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Without further ado, here is myself and James Murphy chatting very recently hello oh hold on Howard uh, uh, this uh, thing is it wanted to allow me to use the uh, speaker uh-huh phone, so I'm going to grab my earpiece real quick give me one second yeah no problem there we go I got it we good yeah we're good Oh, that, that makes a change. It's usually it's usually me um, uh, uh, having struggles with technology at the beginning of an interview. So, so thanks for stepping in there and putting me at ease. <laughs> no problem. Cool. So, um, so uh, yeah. So look, uh, thanks for doing this. It was uh, it was incredibly easy to get um, get in touch with you. I, I, I thought I was going to be trying to having to like hunt you down for days. Oh no, I've been on. Uh... I've been pretty easily reachable on social media for for years at this point. Well, of course, you um, you, you run your own business as well, so you, you have to be. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, and it, so, are you are, are you is, are you still maintaining the studio? Then is that still your kind of number one gig? Yeah, yeah. That that's my you know you know that's how I pay the bills and that's how I I stay involved in music on a day to day basis. You know. Um, you know, because you know I'm not out there touring, you know, and I ha- and I haven't in a while. In fact, uh, the last time I actually played live was a decade ago. So, wow. Yeah, probably a little more actually. The last time I played live on stage was the uh, Roadrunner United 25th anniversary concert. Wow. Right. Okay. So, um, so you don't miss it then? No, I, I think you know I do miss it. Um, I think I'll miss it even, I think I'll uh, be more excited to get back to it once I'm actually physically back in shape to do it, you know, so I'm working on that now, um, you know, playing more and more and uh, starting to write more and more, and, uh, you know, I'm not a, a spring chicken anymore, so I'm, I'm, I'm doubtful that I'll be, you know, bouncing all over the stage like a, like a maniac, like I used to, but, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, I, I do miss uh, playing live, yeah. Oh man, t- tell me about it. You're absolutely right. Um, I've done two stage di- I've done two, well. I've did a, a. I did a. Uh, I recently did a. Um, uh, I, I did a dive off a um, uh, front of house uh, booth into the crowd, and um, yeah, I managed to. I managed to uh, um, fuck up a couple of ribs. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You see, you see, the the the, the body is forty seven, but the mind is still seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. I'm kind of in the same uh, same boat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, it's just I, I go and see an osteopath before before we go, uh, you know, before we play shows. I go and go and see her afterwards, and she's like, "What have you been doing?" And I'll, I'll, like, I'll, sh- I'll show her a video or something like that, and she's like, "Why would you do that?" <laughs> you know, so it's like, well, you know, it is what it is. 
But um, so speak. Well, speak. Look, speaking of health, how how are you? How are you feeling? How, where where are you at in your kind of recovery? Uh, well, um, I'm just having a gallbladder issue. I really need the gallbladder removal surgery, which is not that big of a deal. Um, I'm sure if I were a UK citizen, I would have I would have already had it sorted by now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, we do not have a single payer system or a national health service here in the states. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it's all about uh, it's all about the Benjamins, as they say. Yeah. So, so basically, you literally, you know, an operation is is like anything else that you want. You know, a car or anything. You've, you've got to save up. Yeah. Now, if I wanted to just abuse my system, eat a lot of fatty foods, and push it to the point that I had such a serious attack that they had to yank it out to save my life, they'd go ahead and do that, you know? Right. Okay. <laughs> Don't work on you on an emergency basis. It's the preventative care, you know, that, you know, or the, you know, the otherwise normal maintenance, yeah. you know, that they're not, you know, all that great with, you know, sometimes. So... Uh, you know, I mean, unless you have really good insurance, which you know, as a uh, as a musician and producer for years, I, I I never you know never did so. Yeah, I mean, well, just get well, just getting you know, kind of like driver's insurance if you're a musician and stuff like that is 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 difficult because they're always in fear that if you have an accident that's going to prevent you from working in the future, you're going to be claiming loss of earnings and. It's yeah. I mean, I it just yeah, yeah. performers insurance is a tough thing to find for just about anything. But of course, you've got the added problem of of being in a country where medical care is seen as something that should be um, uh, charged. Yeah, it's a commodity. It's a commodity yeah. here, and not a, and not a human right, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Well, you know, no, uh, sy- no it's system's just, perfect. It's just so backwards because you know, you know, ethically, they have to work on you if you show up, you know, in dire you know, in dire straits at the, in the emergency room, you know, um, they have to work on you. And that, and uh, solving problems once they've gone past that tipping point is always more expensive and more involved than just, uh, you know, maintaining people's health to begin with, you know. So, yeah. you know, I'm definitely, you know, I mean, I'm sure... Uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the very stark political divide in the states right now. I think you probably <laughs> yeah. have a somewhat similar one in the UK, uh, along maybe slightly different lines. Maybe the you know the uh, you know the scrimmage lines are drawn differently, but yeah, you know, in the, in the states, it's it's pretty well fifty fifty. People who think that we should have uh, uh, you know a single payer type system and you know a national health service type of system. And people who 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 absolutely do not think that, and uh, the real, and you know, so so speaking up as being on one side or the other is 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 definitely fraught. You know, it's a fraught, you know, proposition for yeah. for someone in 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 my shoes because you know you anytime you open your mouth about anything that could be construed as political, and it's a shame, it's, it's an absolute shame that healthcare is political. Yeah, well, should, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. There's, it, there's, there's no way that that's a, a political issue. It's a human right. 
Yeah, but it, unfortunately in the United States it's a political issue. And so, yeah, like I said, it's a very fraught thing to speak up about it because you're, you're uh, you know, in peril of alienating potentially half your audience at any given moment. Because at, as with no other time in, in, in my life that I can remember, more musicians and people who love music and, and love heavy metal more of them than ever are really right-wing, conservative, very anti any sort of public health care, et cetera, et cetera. And it blows my mind because a huge percentage of them are literally one bad stroke of luck away from being in exactly the sort of situation where they could, they would absolutely need it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, but... You know, we have have such a polarization here, and uh, we have such extreme uh, right-wing alternative, me- alternative media figures who really reach a lot of these people and uh, speak to something inside them that just convinces them that, oh, it's just, uh, you know, liberal uh, nonsense, you know, you know uh, public health care. Why should, why should my taxes pay for anyone else, you know, for, for, for layabouts to get health care? Yeah. Well... You know, at the end of the day, if they're getting preventative care, it's going to be cheaper because we all pay, all of us who pay tax, um, pay for the people that just show up in emergency rooms. Well, exactly. Well, the, the thing is that, that, but that is always that. That is the um, that is the um, the theory of the far right, which is well, not just the right in general, which is um, basically if you're if you're ill, it's your fault. If you're unemployed, it's your fault. If you need, you know, if you need help from the state in any way, it's your fault. And basically, yeah. you know, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and sort it out. And and you know, the the vulnerable uh, just kind of get trodden on and forgotten. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. One of the, I, you know, and I just, I just, I should clarify for you know, especially for the American listeners, that I'm I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. I'm in, I'm independent. Yeah, I me too. Fairly middle of the road. Yeah, I, I consider myself fairly middle of the road. Uh, um, I'm I'm somewhat more fiscally conservative, than, you know. Yeah, and, you know, but I and I but I you know socially I lean a little more liberal, you know. But I'm I am fairly middle of the road. I'm you know I'm an independent, and uh, but uh, when it you know when it comes you know like for instance you know to the dismay of many of my uh, UK uh, fans and friends. Um, you know, I'm I'm very pro gun. I'm very pro Second Amendment. I have, I own guns. I love shooting them. Uh, I I have a concealed carry you know permit. I often am carrying a, a gun on me you right. know, when I'm walking around and about. Um, no, I'm not paranoid. No, I never fear anything. I'm not worried about anything. I just do. I'm just exercising my right and. Uh, you know, I, and I just enjoy shooting. I don't enjoy shooting living things. I don't hunt. Um, but uh, I really do enjoy shooting targets and, uh, you know, target shooting. That's fun for me. But, you know, uh, and, and that seems like a very conservative right-wing type of thing, at least, in, you know, from a United States perspective, usually people, you know, that lean more left are anti-gun. But yeah. like I said, I'm independent. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, it just so happens that on issues of health care, I, I, I agree more with the liberal side on those issues. When it comes to the Second Amendment, I agree much, much more with the conservative side. But yeah, I, do you know? Care. Do you know what? I'm ex- I'm exactly the same. It's it's I, you know it's, it's on this issue I'm with these guys. On this issue I'm with yeah. these guys. Which means that yeah. my place is in the middle, and I I, I yeah. can't I yeah, can't exactly. nail my colours to any mast. I'm, it's it's yeah yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's, 
isn't it really weird to comment on those various issues that you, you know, that you share the different sides' opinions with on social media? Because yeah. as soon as you go into some sort of group, or especially where there's people you don't really know commenting as well, and and you say something like sort of, if I say something in favor of guns and gun rights, you know, I get the the liberal people attacking me as a you know far right and you know gun nut loony. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> As soon as I comment something about you know the you know about my opinions on healthcare, I got the you know one of, one of the uh, one of the favorite uh, uh, derogatory uh, uh, names that people on the extreme right seem to really love to use against anyone who has a, a left leaning opinion is uh, libtard. Yes, yeah. Like a sort of uh, uh, a uh, a mashup of the words. Uh, uh, liberal and retard, which is a terrible word anyway, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so I get called that a lot, you know, so. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. You, expre- you express, yeah. you express one opinion on one issue, on one issue and people will immediately put you in a box marked whatever they've decided yeah. that makes yeah, yeah, yeah. you you know and yeah, you can't exactly. you can't have opinions that go from either side it, and these people very well pick a you know pick a fucking side you know and stick yeah. to that and it's like well well no I, that that's such blinkered outdated thinking that's how we're ending up in this mess in the first place exactly and and you know um for for people who love to talk about like things like the deep state you know the conspiracy theorists that really fully believe that, you know, everyone's being controlled and there's really hidden power figures in control of everything. If you really believe that, then why would you buy into this one side versus the other uh, 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 dynamic in the first place? Yeah. I mean, that's just a paradigm that's... If there is such thing as a deep state, it's that exact paradigm that that they would use if they existed to control people. <laughs> yeah. To, you know, to keep society on edge and at odds against each, you know, in each other, because... As long as people are fighting each other, they're not paying attention to what else is going on, you know. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, as an independent, you know, as someone who I, I really do feel I'm, I'm in the middle on so many, you know, because I have so many differing issues where, okay, I agree with conservatives on this, I agree with liberals on this, I agree with libertarians on this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, for me... Uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not. I'm also not a conspiracy theorist. I'm. I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. You won't see me watching Alex Jones or, or talking about the Greens or the Greys or the. Or, you know, I've got you. The lizard, the lizard aliens, or the Greys or the, <clears throat> et cetera, et cetera. Or the. Uh, oh yeah, the uh, 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 yeah our alien overlords who are state. yeah the, the lizards yeah, who are disguised as human beings. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe in freaking chemtrails. I don't, you know, none of that crap. So ba- not a basi- earther, you know. basically what you're saying is you're not Dave Mustaine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm clearly not Dave Mustaine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, I, well, speaking of healthcare and all the rest of it, of course, unfortunately, and, and uh, you know, don't worry, I'm not, I don't want to really sort of, you know, rake through the past too much, but... Um, um, of course, the whole healthcare situation played played a, a, a big role in um, um, in how Chuck passed as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I don't pretend to know all the details about that, but I was talking, 
you know, shortly after uh, he passed, um, I was talking to uh, his mother and, and his sister and his and his uh, nephew uh, quite a bit uh, during that time period, and uh, and for a few years after, and uh, you know, over time, you know, uh, uh, his mom. You know, revealed a lot of stuff to me about what went down, and I, I don't know how much of that is private, so I'm not going to I'm not going to detail any of it. Yeah, but uh, um, definitely, as the best of my recollection of those conversations, which are now you know between twelve and fifteen years in the past, um, uh, I uh, I definitely got the feeling that uh, he was. You know, didn't, you know, he just didn't necessarily get the best of what he could have gotten, perhaps at the time. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know. I, know, I mean, that did you did you start out create? Did you start out um, putting a, um, a a tribute album together? Uh, I did get started on one. Um, uh, ran into a combination of uh, financial issues and uh, uh, my own health issues. Right, right. So yeah. it got put on the shelf, uh, uh, but uh, I do intend to finish it. I mean, because it, yeah. it's just so weird the fact that, like, that you know, both of you should get a you know a brain tumors. It's just it's kind of like, wow, you know, what are the odds? Yeah, yeah. And it's com- compare. You, you know, it's really it's really uh, it's tough to to find the right way to characterize it, and I hate to, I hate to use the word lucky, but. That's the only word I can really think of. Um, I, I think it's probably the best word um, is that I was just, I was just lucky, and that my tumor was, while it was most definitely on the path to killing me, until I had it removed, and the surgery itself, uh, which I didn't know at the time that I was having it, as uh, I didn't really know much around the time I was having it. I was kind of my mind was shot. But uh, what I found out afterwards was I only stood about a fifty percent chance of surviving that surgery. Anyway. Well, that, so, I think lucky is the right word then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, uh, then, then I'll, I'll embrace it. Um, yeah, then, I was lucky. Yeah. I was lucky in that regard and, and lucky in the, in the fact that, you know, despite that it, you know, because of its size and where it was growing, it was absolutely going to kill me Yeah. in short order, according to the doctors. Wow. Um, it was, in fact, a benign tumor of yeah. what they call a fully, in, a fully encapsulated, it was a... A uh, benign, fully encapsulated uh, pituitary macroadenoma. Right. Okay. Which, uh, uh, so you know, in other words, it didn't metastasize out and start spreading into other systems and all that sort of thing. It wasn't that type of cancer. Did it? Did um, it was that what? What were the um, what were the symptoms? Were you, were, were you in pain at all, or did, did it did it affect your personality in any yeah, way? Because often, this, often yeah, no, it absolutely case. affected my personality in a major way. Um, uh, uh, it made me very sort of dull and slow, and uh, and uh, have extreme memory problems, and it caused me tons of fatigue, and uh, so I was sleeping, you know, most of the day, you know, most of every day. I right. was. Uh, I couldn't remember anything when I did manage to get around people. The people that I was around told me, you know, after the fact, after my recovery, that they would be speaking to me, and within the course of a 15-minute conversation, I would ask them the same question several times. Right. And they'd keep, just keep answering it, and, it's, you know, be like, okay, what's wrong with this guy, yeah. you know? 
a lot of people assumed that I had gotten on some sort of drugs. You know. Yeah, that's that's the that's the, that's the first stop, isn't it? That's uh, everyone's going to make. It's like, okay, yeah. he's obviously. Yeah. Oh, everybody. Out. Yeah. Did. All my friends. All my. All my friends and bandmates out in California all thought that. Uh, so did uh, uh, so did my family back in Florida. Everybody well, just fu- assumed that I was well. Funnily doing enough, drugs. funnily enough, it sounds like um, you had. Uh, well, it's, uh, Bill Stevenson, the drummer from Descendants, had the same thing. Um, oh, okay. He had a. He had the same. He had a. You know, the the huge pituitary um, uh, tumor. Uh, and all of the all of the um, um, all of the uh, personality changes and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, because I mean, you got to think where your pituitary is. It's right yeah. underneath your brain, right behind your optic nerve. Absolutely. So as yeah. it grows, it's it's putting pressure on those areas of your brain, massive pressure in some cases. In my case, it was massive, massive pressure because my tumor, they said, was the size of about three golf balls. I mean, it wasn't uniformly round or anything, but it was it was spread out, you know, but altogether it had the mass of about three golf balls. Wow. You know, which was which is massive for that type of tumor. Massive to have in your head where there's no extra room for anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, you just, just putting, you just yeah, you, know, you just try and massive pre- Yeah, you just try yeah, and cram yeah. three golf balls in your head and see how much room there is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it was putting massive pressure on my brain and the other thing that it was doing, and I don't know if you you said uh, Bill is his name? Yeah, Bill, yeah. Yeah, um, for me, what it also did, and what it commonly does, is that because it, it, it's gr- just growing outward in all directions, so it's putting pressure on your brain. This causes all the personality changes, the memory issues, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But it also starts to press on your optic nerve from from behind your eyes. It's pressing on your optic nerve. Yeah. And uh, it was affecting my vision. My vision uh, went to crap. It went to total crap. So. Jesus Christ! That's just yeah. A... Yeah. So I could barely, I could barely see. I certainly couldn't read anything. You know. That's just a horrendous existence. There's a whole story about that, about because it's actually that symptom is what led to my tumor being discovered. Ah, right. And it was just very much an accident. I mean, I've told this story, of course, several times, but uh, um, if you'd like me to to run it down, I will, of course. You know. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's kind of um, I don't know. It's just the the, the fact the very fact that we're talking. I mean, it's, it, it's it's impressive if you think about it. I mean, you know, when you were saying lucky, I think well. Ultimately, what yeah. you did with that operation. Well, hopefully, Bill. Uh, hopefully, Bill's was caught early enough that they were able to do a transphenoidal surgery. Um, transphenoidal, they go. They make a slit underneath your upper lip, and and go up there through your sinus, and they basically just grab the thing, hook it, and yank it out through your sinus. Ah, right. No, he's got staples across the top of his head. Okay, so he had to have what's called a maxillary swing. Probably they. Uh, yeah, it was did basically just recently happened to him. He was fa- he was found unconscious, um, and they basically had to take him in, and they operated on him straight away. It was a few years ago, actually. There's a it's all documented in a in a documentary about the band called Filmage, which is it's a I mean seriously, if you know if you're in you know if you I will definitely music, I will definitely look that up. I'm you know very interesting to see what another you know musician who who had the same thing as me went through. But the the way my Thing played out was I was just I was losing everything because I had no memory I couldn't work I mean I was sleeping rather than working I was forgetting everything you know um, you know uh, uh, yeah I think I was I had started I think the last thing I started in the studio was I started an album by the band uh, Abscess right uh, for like listenable records or something like that and uh, you know Chris Chris uh, 
uh, Riefert from uh, Autopsy and Death. Yeah. And uh, I think we did the drums, maybe, I think. And uh, then, you know, I basically forgot that I was doing a record. You know, <laughs> I forgot. Wow. <laughs> I just forgot everything. Now, I don't know exactly how it all played out, but, you know, I mean, I ended up running into him at some point in a record store, and he started yelling at me, and I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I had no idea what he was talking about. Oh, no. I was like, why is Chris Why is Chris Reefert mad at me? I, I didn't even know, you know? Yeah. But uh, uh, it was uh, just really weird. And, of course, you know, when that sort of happens, you know, your business dries up, you're making, you're getting no income. Um, I went on a tour with uh, Testament uh, uh, in support. They said I was late getting to the bus to, to kick off the tour. Apparently, I missed the bus a couple of times out on the road because, you know, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, they said that I was just sort of acting weird. You know, they thought I was on some drugs. You yeah. Know? So, you know, I parted ways with them right. You know, after that tour uh, for the gathering, it was a tour in support of the gathering. I think it was in two thousand. And uh, uh, from there, I uh, just sort of floated around in in Northern California until I was just just completely destitute, living on the street, couch surfing. Had lost my uh, my loft, everything, you know, lost wow. my studio, most of my gear, everything was stolen. I, I didn't, you know, or, or, you know, held by somebody that didn't want to give it back, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I was, uh, essentially, you know, on the street. Um, well, also in that, uh, in that condition, you become the easiest person possible to steal from as well. Cause you don't know what's fucking yeah. yours. Exactly. I didn't know. I didn't know what was what. I mean, um, uh, years, you know, a few years later, I found out that you know one of my guitars, you know, a buddy of mine from the band Deface had uh, had one of my guitars, and I called him, and he goes like, "Dude, I just I had that thing for a couple of years, but just last week I traded it for a Marshall Stack oh. because you know you abandoned it, you know." And I was just like, "Yeah, okay, whatever, you know, I just just let it go, you know." Yeah. Um, he said he said he had you know had a. Uh, loaned me some money on the guitar but of course it was a fraction of what the guitar was worth so he he made out but i i don't hold him i don't hold that against him at all he's a you know <laughs> he, he he was patient he held on to it for a couple of years yeah right but like things like that just things like that happened to it like i guess in some cases i lo- i i gave load some stuff to people in some cases i you know this stuff was just in my apartment when it got repossessed some of it was just literally stolen right out of the new place because i had moved to a transitional space after i got kicked out of that apartment i had managed to get a lot of my gear over there. Some of it was just straight strolling right out of that room, you know, while I was just wandering around and not knowing even what was going on. And uh, what happened, how I eventually got back to Florida, was my sister... I mean, you know, some of my family talked... Nope. Hang on. What's going on with James? Something's wrong. People are calling us and telling us, telling us that things are going wrong with him. Maybe we'll just take some time off work. We'll rent a U-Haul... And drive out there and pick him and all his stuff up and bring it back and see what's going on with him. But they never did it because you know they just you know they're not wealthy you know they're working class you know yeah so so they never really could do it. But my sister um, uh, apparently sent me bus tickets three different times until finally I got on one of them. Right. And uh, apparently I made it in a Trailways bus, a Greyhound or a Trailways, um, all the way from Oakland to. To uh, to Florida, and uh, apparently I arrived with nothing more than just the, the filthy 
dirty, falling apart clothes I was wearing, and a trash bag, literally a black garbage bag with a few other items in it. And that was it. That's what I had. Right. So you were essentially a hobo. Yeah. And, you know, and my mom picked me up at the bus station, she says. I don't remember it. And, you know, I stayed a little bit at her place, and I stayed a little bit, you know, my sister's and my dad's, but they just kept passing me off. You know, I stayed at my grandmother's because she was still alive at that point, and I stayed at my grandmother's for a while, but, you know, apparently everyone was just getting impatient and upset with me. And one of the main, uh, uh, probably one of the main things that drove that was my father, my my, my, actual, my biological father, not my stepfather, uh, who had been in law enforcement and, uh, uh, you know, his, his pretty, even when he was in the military, his M.O.S. was uh, military police. So he was in law enforcement his whole life. And uh, he had he had pretty much told everyone in my family, had everyone convinced today, look, he's on drugs. He's on drugs. It's drugs. I know. I've been a cop for 30 years. He's on drugs. Yeah. You know? And, uh, it, you know, never mind that he drug tested me five different times over the course of five months. And it always came up negative. His explanation for that would be he's just, you know, he's indigent now. He can't afford the drugs, so, but, he, but they've done their damage. They did their damage to him out in California. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, he just had everyone convinced of that. And so everyone was kind of keeping me somewhat at arm's length, trying to figure out, you know, what to do. But finally, my sister had enough, the same one that sent me the bus ticket money, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, she had, you know, her domestic situation wasn't such that she could really, you know, take take me on, you know, and my, my problems and issues. She was barely getting by herself, but, uh, she, uh, she, uh, called my father who was the be- person in the best position to help me. Um, uh, you know, financially and, and free time wise and everything else. And, and, and she basically, she went out and picked me up off the street, drove me to a, a motel that she could afford a weekend worth of the, uh, worth of the of the cost, and she she booked me into that motel for a weekend. Gave me you know, you know, bought me some food things that I could eat you know prepare right there in the motel. And uh, then she called my father, and she told him, said, "Look, this is your son. Something is wrong with him. There is something medical wrong with him. You need to pick him up." She's the only one that didn't believe it was drugs that knew it was something medical. And uh, that knew in her heart, you know, she didn't obviously know yeah. technically, but she she felt in her heart that it had to be something medical. Yeah. And uh, so she called my dad and said, his time at that motel runs out on this day. You need to be there to pick him up. She basically threatened to disown him. <laughs> you know, wow. Uh, he didn't come to take care. So so he did. He came and picked me up at the motel. And uh, uh, despite the fact that he was, you know, fairly well off, you know, medical for an uninsured person is so expensive, it would have ruined them, you know? Yeah. It would have ruined them to have taken care of me and put, you know, tried to pay for it all himself. So he did the only thing he could really think of to do, which is to take me down to the county health, where you can get some free health care in the States if you register with the county and whatever county you're in as an indigent. It's, it's not very good. It's long waiting lines, you know, it's, you know, but it's, it's something. You can, yeah. get, you can get something. You can get some kind of health care. Um, they're not going to take care of real complicated things, you know, but simple things, they'll, they'll see you and they'll take care of you. And they also have a uh, psychologist and stuff like that. Uh, you know, uh, psychiatrists, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so he took me down and registered me as an indigent 
and got me uh, an appointment with a general practitioner who just basically looked at me, asked me how I was feeling, tried to figure out what my symptoms were. Now, you got to understand the preface to this story is you got to understand this. In my first couple of days sitting there at my dad's house, he would see me trying to read his newspaper and how I would struggle and move it at different distances. And he said, you need glasses, son. You need, you need to get glasses. And, I was, and, he, and he said, look, I'm going to get you some Probably you just need reading glasses. You're, you're that age now. You're in your 30s. Every other Murphy male has had to have glasses by the time they were teenagers if, or, or 20s at the latest. You've made it to your 30s. You need glasses. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, I said, uh, it's, you're just that age. And I said, well, I think it, it's definitely whatever is causing my other problems, it's happening. It happened at the same time. It, like, developed along with it. I think it's another symptom of what's wrong with me. And he, and that was one of my more lucid moments. I actually remember it. I was able to actually think of the fact, like, really comprehend the fact that something was wrong with me, that I was sick. Uh, most of the time I was oblivious. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, I went in and out of these moments of lucidity, and, uh, and, and that was one of those moments, and I remember clearly him getting a little bit irritated with me and saying, no, the hell it's not. You're just a Murphy man. We've all needed glasses when we were much younger than you. You're lucky you didn't need them until your 30s. We're going to take you in and get you some off-the-shelf reading glasses because clearly you can't do what you've done before. You can't be a producer anymore. You don't have your studio anymore. You don't have anything. You don't... You, you can't, you know, you can't do what you did before, obviously. You're, you know, fucked yeah. up for whatever reason, you know. And uh, so uh, I'm going to get you some off-the-shelf reading glasses and so at least you'll be able to fill out a goddamn McDonald's application. And that was that was his thoughts on the matter. I needed to be able to fill out a fast food, you know, food worker yeah. application. So that his idea what I would do in my mid-30s to move forward with my life was uh, <laughs> to, you know, be a, you know, flipping burgers. Yeah. And cooking fries, you know. So, uh, uh, but he took me down to the free county health, registered me as an indigent. I saw the general practitioner. All he did was he issued me a prescription for Zantac, which is for heartburn. Yeah. I was having reflux, so he gave me heartburn medicine. Yeah. Um, uh, that's it. Um, then they, because... You know, my dad, you know, because I had behavioral issues that were being caused by the tumor, but they didn't know it, they set me up a, uh, an appointment with the psychologist or psychiatrist, I don't know which it was, and I sat and talked with him, and I don't really remember a lot about that, but I do remember being in the room and talking to him, and I just remember that uh, I, the main thing I remember about it is when we went to leave, he, it, he wrote another appointment, and he said, we'll see him again in two weeks. And, uh, you know, I think we definitely, you know, have some things to, you know, talk about. We got some issues we can work on. You know, like he, he you know, he believed it was, you know, that he was a psychologist. So it's like when you're a, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know what I mean? You're a psychologist, everything looks like everything looks like crazy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, at the very least, he wasn't qualified to diagnose my actual medical issue and apparently neither was the general practitioner who <laughs> all he did after examining me was is issue a prescription for Zantac but true to his word my dad took me to this little place called OptiWorld on the way home from that particular that first appointment there at the county health and uh, uh, we dropped by this OptiWorld and we went in it's basically an, eye, an eyeglasses place you can go get your lens prescriptions filled choose your frames etc etc yeah. you know and all things related to eyewear 
uh, and what have you. And there's a lot of, you know, designer frames. It's a really nice little store, you know. Um, but I think the guys that man the counter that, that work there are, are, are at the very least opticians. They're not ophthalmologists, but, you yeah. know, but they're, I think they're at least an optician level. And uh, uh, it was just me, my dad, and this one guy that worked there in the store. It was just a weird time of day. No one else was in there. And uh, we, my dad started pulling the, the, the off-the-shelf reading glasses off the rack and said, try this, see if you can read this text. And I just kept trying on the different strengths. And, uh, and they weren't really working, and my dad was getting a little bit irritated yeah. uh, with me because uh, he thought I was uh, malingering, as you know, as he say, he <laughs> thought I was full of shit. Yeah, thanks. you know. Um, but I, and I, so I, I just, I got, I got impatient with him because you know, despite the fact that I was in a very compromised state uh, uh, mentally, I, I was still a grown ass man, and uh, you know, not used to you know having my dad treat me like a teenager. You know. Yeah. So I spoke up and I said, "Look, man, it doesn't matter which one I try on." Some of them, I can read the text better than others, but what the problem is, is that there's just certain spots, like I have to move the paper around to get in that spot, because there's spots in my vision that it's like someone smeared Vaseline on my eye. I can't see through it. No matter what you put, Yeah. you know, you would have to, you know, no matter what, no matter what glasses you put, if there's Vaseline on your eye, no glasses will help you, you know? Yeah. And that's what it felt like to me. And the uh, optician guy heard me saying this to my dad, and he came up and he said, "Hey, I'm sorry, you know, I wasn't, you know, uh, eavesdropping, but you know, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. You know, um, I would like to give you a free eye exam." And of course, you know, you know, my dad heard the word "free" and I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> free, yeah, Let's do free stuff." And uh, so I got the uh, uh, sat down to do an eye exam, and this guy is just look, doing that thing where they look at the back of your eye, you know, with that little yes. soap thing that they hold up to your pupil and they look in. Yeah. And he did that thing called look at what I'm doing right now. And he explained it to me as he was doing it. He was like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the back of your eye now. And he was just looking and hey, it was only about 30 seconds or so uh, before he said, uh, well, uh, Mr. Murphy, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to... Uh, uh, the word to it refer you to an ophthalmologist i'll write you a referral um i'm i'm fairly confident when i say that i think you have a pituitary tumor and a very large one and it's pressing on your optic nerve and that is what is causing your visual disturbance shit and he said and you're right no glasses will help you with that you know and uh please tell me please tell me that please tell me that this that that you were able to go and deliver this information to your dad and then there was a no he was he was standing right there that's what you got to understand he was standing Ah, right there the whole time right yeah he was he didn't take me like into a room or something to do the eye exam he did it right there within a few feet of where we were standing anyway right okay yeah and uh so he he heard this in real time and you know the real the real clincher of the whole thing is that once I was actually positively diagnosed, you think that would kind of stick him in the craw a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, just, you think that would, that would, uh, uh, have woken him up a little bit, but the reality is after I was positively by the ophthalmologist and then a neuro, a neurologist, uh, diagnosed with a pituitary tumor, that's when my dad admitted that he himself just, a few months earlier, 
just a month or so before I showed up in Florida, so it was several months earlier, um, he had been diagnosed with a pituitary tumor. Oh, my God. But, see, get this. Because my dad had good insurance, his was discovered when it was the size of a pea. Ah. So all he, all he ever had to do was take one pill a day. Yeah. One pill. Um, mine was discovered after it was a massive emergency, the size of three golf balls, and I was nearly about to die. And the thing is that this type of tumor is genetic. It can be passed on from father to son. Right. And he had this type of tumor and never bothered to even think, maybe this is what's wrong with him, much less just even inform me. Oh, by the way, son, I've been diagnosed with this type of thing that can be genetic, so you're going to want to watch out for it. He's never done that. He's never done that with me. He, he got diagnosed with heart problems, you, you know, I didn't find out till he was about to go into surgery. I'm just like, oh, so you tell me when you're going into surgery because you want the damn moral support, which, of course, I give him because I do love my dad as much as it sounds like I'm fucking, you know, complaining about him. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but you didn't bother to tell me when you were diagnosed with the heart problem because this is also genetic and can be passed down to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you tell me these things, man. Yeah, so... Uh, Anyway, yeah, so he had been diagnosed with that exact same type of tumor. So, so yeah, he really stuck it to him. And, of course, at that point, that's when all of the talk of drugs uh, ceased. And, uh, he, got, you know, then he got fully on board and started, you know, helping, you know, and, uh, you know, to get me towards that surgery. And now, what, still, I had no money, but uh, there's one reason why it might have been kind of good for me that it got so huge and that it was so big that the uh, Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa had never where we where we were referred to to see the neurologist they had never seen one that big before ah right it, so it, you, that, you become a special a case teaching, now it was a, it was a teaching hospital <laughs> it, is, <laughs> right. it is a teaching hospital yeah so it was an opportunity to show the student doctors, you know, an extreme case of that type of tumor. Yeah. Because most of those surgeries they do, they do them with that transphenoidal. They just make an incision underneath the upper lip, up, you know, above your gums, and then go in through the sinus and yank it out. Yeah. Whereas mine, they had to do the, what they call the maxillary swing, where they literally cut my cheekbone away. They cut my cheekbone away, literally cut along the orbit of my left eye, down the crease, left side of my nose, and then through the center of my lip and peeled my face back, cut my cheekbone away, cut my sinus and moved it to the side, and went in underneath the orbit of my left eye. Then they also propped my mouth open. They made, they made a custom mold of my teeth so they'd make a brace that wouldn't hurt my teeth that would hold my mouth open for the several hours of the surgery. Yeah. They made an incision in my soft palate, yeah. in the roof of my mouth, and went in that direction as well Fucking to hell. get that thing out. And uh, so they... And they got it out. They got it all out. You know, well, actually, they got. They said they got seventy percent of it out, and the rest they gave me that same medicine that they gave my dad. Except whereas my dad had to take one a day, I had to take five a day, and that was after the tumor got reduced by seventy percent. When you um when you came round, was it was it like coming round and remembering who you were and going like, right, okay? Uh, no, not really. That was a gradual process as my brain uh slowly uh decompressed. Right, uh, okay, right, got you. It went back to shape. It was sort of a slow process for my brain to decompress. It was not instantaneous. And uh, I was on so many medications at first, uh, and 
the, the weird thing is, is you would think they would, I mean, this was 2001, so you would think still, that's modern technology, you know, uh, you know, beyond the turn of the millennium, that there, there should be no case, you know, computer technology was so far advanced and being able to track all these things, that there would be no instance in, in, no instance in which someone would be prescribed and given times of day to take things of medications that were what, what doctors refer to as contraindicated, which means they're not meant to be taken together. Right. They could cause problems, cause issues. I was taking three contraindicated drugs, and they were causing me to have insane hallucinations. <laughs> insane. Well, right. <laughs> I wish I could even describe them to you, man. Just like, oh, man. I was like, people were walking, like, everything was like tinged in like a dingy brown light, and everyone looked like freaking zombies, and if any of their flesh sloughed off, I could, it, it was like biomechanics in there, like weird alien biomechanics and guts. It was just gross, and that this is what I was seeing this walking around. Yes. You know, another time, everything was just, ba everyone was bathed in a blue glow that was so strong and so touched, such a deep blue that you, you lost everyone's features, you just saw the outline, and everything was awash in this, and there was just hums that sounded like a freaking alien spaceship. I mean, it was just weird. Weird. But it was all because of the medication, and once they, uh, uh, once it was discovered, you know, that I was doing this, because it was discovered because I asked. Yeah, right. You know? Again, again, like, oh, time and time again, I had to force my dad to believe things, you know, that I thought, you know. So uh, I said, I think I shouldn't be taking all these medications at once. He would go, oh, nonsense, they wouldn't have prescribed it to you. And, you know, and what he would do is, because I, I couldn't open my mouth more to slit while the, uh, while the soft palate healed, because they can't suture the soft palate. It has to heal on its own. Yeah. So they made, like, a prosthetic that was meant to cover the hole. It didn't. That's another thing I had to prove to him, that it didn't cover the whole. But uh, uh, you know, he thought I was full of shit, everything I said. But, uh, finally, we, we were at the doctor, and I said, when he asked if you had any more questions, I spoke up, because my dad always went in with me. Yeah. And uh, uh, I said, uh, should I be taking these medications at the same time? And I told him the list. I had memorized it. And... Uh, he said, no, I don't think so. And he hopped on a little computer terminal they had there, and he said, no, definitely not. And that's, this could cause you serious problems. And I was like, I just look at my dad, shaking my head. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so, you, so you and your dad, does he, um, does, he, does he listen to you these days? Oh, we get along, yeah, we get along good. You know, it's, it's <laughs> always been a weird relationship with, with, with him, but, um, um, you know, I, I do love my dad, but he was a... Uh, you know, as you know, you might say uh, a right bastard. <laughs> but it also it's that kind of law. It's always it almost sounds like it's that law enforcement. All those years in law enforcement as well will do that, don't you? Because you just hear people. Oh yeah, talking yeah. Law so much, in the military. Yeah, yeah. Because you hear people talking so much military. bullshit all the time that you just yeah. kind of take that yeah. on as your worldview. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had to I had to prove everything. And it was weird, but I was, I was a grown man, but I was kind of under his power because I was just in this medical situation. I was fairly helpless, you know, and I, um, you know, in, in every way. So I had to, you know, I was relying on him. So, but, you know, he did, you know, he, he had to be forced to do what was right. But once he knew it was real, he was, you know, on board, you know. Yeah. And, of course, you know, 
I see, you know, I see him from, you know, I see him all the time now. He, he lives only about 20 minutes from me, 15, 20 minutes from me. I go over to his house. We get along great, but, you know, he's, you know, he's my dad. He's, that's just the way it was. It was a weird, uh, it was a weird time. <laughs> yes, yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, it's, um... But hey, you know, this is the guy who, uh, uh, probably the reason why I started playing guitar, because he played. And, uh, you know, he wasn't very, you know, he was just sort of the guy type of, like, strum and sing like kind of folk songs and country songs yeah you know just the sort of strumming you know he didn't really play anything uh he certainly didn't play lead guitar or jazz or anything like that he just did basic uh you know old old school rock and roll folk and country and he would just strum along do the strumming patterns and sing but because he had a guitar in the house you know it i gravitated to it you know yeah um when he let me play it, which, you know, sometimes he wouldn't let me play it for long periods of time. And then, then one year he's just like, here, play, you know, take it, take it with you to school every day. So it was really weird, you know, you know, but he, so he, you know, he was probably instrumental in in me playing guitar. He was also instrumental in me into just getting into music because he had a great, in the seventies, he had this great old uh, Marantz hi-fi, you know, stereo system that was just amazing. And uh, a huge record collection that I used to listen to all the time. Um, and uh, you know, and then once I started getting my old my own records, I would listen to him on his system when you know when he didn't know. <laughs> it was fun telling him years <laughs> later. Yeah, I used to play your stereo all the time. <laughs> he never caught me <laughs> when he was at home. You know, that, that's, that, I, was, I was banned from touching it when he was at home, but I did all the time. Of course. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, that's, I, I, you know, so he was instrumental in a lot of ways in that. And you know, and he, and he also took me to my very first concert in 1979, and he let me. He, I sat on his shoulders the entire concert in 1979, w- watching Kiss on the Dynasty tour. You know. Ah, right. Okay. So you're you're yeah. you're you're that era. I speak to a lot of people involved in uh, who've been involved in thrash and death metal and all the rest of it, and so many um, first gig Kiss or first album Kiss or you know big Kiss yep. fans. I mean. <laughs> I, I definitely think Kiss have, have influenced and produced more music or, or better music through the bands they influenced than, than they did themselves. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And, um, and no then, doubt. and your, I mean, your career, your sort of professional career starts, starts with like a legendary album, you know, spiritual healing is, is, yeah. I mean, it's just, a, well, did you, did, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry because I didn't, uh, I, I haven't got it in front of me, but um, do, do you actually play on Cause of Death, or did you, or were you in obituary after that, after it was recorded? Hello. Hello. Lost him there for a second. What's going on? Oh, I'm back. Oh, you're back. Cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I did play on Cause of Death. Ah, right. Okay. So, so in the space, in, so in the space of kind of like a year, you're you're or however long it was, you're playing on Spiritual Healing by Death, and then you're into obituary and you're playing on Cause of Death. Um, yep. I, I mean that that's just. Oh yeah, it was it was within a year. It was within a year's time. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, I, now I remember back in the day. Was that was there a falling out between you and Chuck, or was it just a you know? part of the way yeah yeah no there, there there was a falling out you know i mean and, you know anyone that sort of remembers the history of death of the first you know several albums there was sort of a, a pattern of falling out yes. you know 
But but yeah, you know, I I, I most definitely take my share of the blame for the falling out, no doubt. Um, I was a, uh, I was headstrong. um, And, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, of a mindset to be controlled, you know. I, I, I didn't really have a problem with, you know, doing what I was told if what if, if I agreed, you know, ethically and you know with what I was told. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know. So it, well, I'm told to show up he- here for a photo shoot. I show up there for a photo shoot. If I'm I'm showed to, I'm told to come to practice these days of the week. I'm there. I'm at practice those days of the week. You know. Um, you know. I'm told to. You know. I'm asked if I got some riffs. Yeah, I got some riffs. Here you go. Here's some riffs. You know. Um, but if I'm told. Hey, don't talk to any of these bands at this festival. Screw these new breed assholes. You know what I mean? Right. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, f those guys or f those guys. Don't talk to them. I'm just like, uh, no. I like those guys, and even if I didn't, I would be nice to them. So yeah, I'm gonna do my thing. You know, and uh, so you know that kind of thing was a problem where I didn't want to toe the line on you know who I was told to not talk to. You know, um, but also, you know, and the, you know, these are the things that I sort of accrue to his his side of the list as to why I, I left the band. You know, those, those are the th- kind of things that are on Chuck. You know, um, but there there were things that were on me, no doubt about it. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was he- I was, uh, you know, young and uh, and uh, you know. I don't want to say cocky because I never really thought a whole lot of my own, of my playing, you know. I've I've always been my own worst critic in that regard. Um, but I I was uh, I probably fought on things that I that I shouldn't have, and I and I perhaps also didn't necessarily always speak. I didn't express myself well. Right. Like I'm far more I'm far more well spoken now than I was back then. Now I think I was always you know. I was a smart kid. I graduated with honors. You know, I've always been a reader. You know, I've had a, you know, it's been pointed out to me many, many times that I have a a vocabulary that people like to poke fun at sometimes. You know, people like to make fun of anything over three syllables. <laughs> um, if you, you know, if you say a word, uh, you know, that's more than three syllables long, people are, oh, that's a $5 word right there. Um, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, so I've always been, I guess what most people would call smart or intelligent, but I didn't necessarily always have the, the, the best level of social intelligence back in those days. Yeah. You know, I came out of this family that was really kind of a, a little bit, a bit of a harsh environment. Like I said, my dad was in the military and he was a cop. He was yeah. a military cop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, you, you have a lot in you from, you know, when your first years you leave the nest, you know, you're way more than you want to think you're influenced by your parents and what have you. And I was just, you know, I, I didn't develop a good uh, way of dealing with people socially that that I that I have now, that I've developed over time, you know, just yeah. growing and becoming a, a, more, a more full, more complete, more mature human being. So, uh, so, so you I, in- I wasn't as socially mature. I didn't have as much social intelligence back then. And I know that that rubbed Chuck the wrong way, and and and, and rightly so, you know. Yeah, no. Well, look, I, I you know, I've I've been there as well, you know. When you when when you're young and you're in a band, um, yeah, you 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 never um, 
Oh, uh, you, you never have the... Well, you, you can't have maturity when you're young. Simple as that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, and, that's the nature know, of it. Yeah, the and, nature and, of being young and immature is you're not mature, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, we were, both, we were both young and headstrong. It was, it was kind of like having two alpha males in one band, and only one of them is in charge of the band, and that's why I left. That's why, you know, I left the band, you know. Yeah, no, it's... Um, it was, it was, you know, I remember, look, I remember as a fan. Well, funnily enough, I remember as a label mate because we were on the same label. Um, yeah, yeah, combat. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we, well, um, so I was, um, uh, I, I remember like, you know, there was, yeah, I remember the early years. I remember the tours. I remember the tours that were cancelled at the last minute and, you know, the band coming over. It was out. Music for Nations in the UK, right? In That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I remember the band coming over without Chuck to fulfil the tour. Um, yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah. It was. Uh, it was. It was a strange old time, and there was. Yeah, there was always something interesting going on um, in death in those years. So presumably, you, I mean, you got out. You fell straight into it. Well, not fell, but you kind of. It seems like you walked straight into a victory and a and a better situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think I think that I feel closer to spiritual healing than I do cause of death for one primary reason, which is that. I wrote a lot of music on spiritual healing. Yeah, um, I mean, as, as, as a death fan... I joined the band, they were still in the writing process, and, and as soon as I show up, they're like, hey, we got these four songs. I'm so okay, great, show them to me. And I learned the four songs, and they're like, okay, great, well, now we have to write at least four more songs. And they're like, okay, and like, you know, just right away, Chuck's like, hey, I got this riff, and he starts playing it, you know, and the band's playing along, and they said, you got anything that can go after it? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I do, and I just start playing something, you know. And uh, we wrote four songs together like that, you know. And uh, so, you know, I'm writing on that album. I'm playing on the whole thing, playing rhythm guitars, everything, you know. Yeah. And so I feel a little closer to that album. But um, that's not to say that I don't feel close to the obituary album. I do, you know. Uh, uh, it was, uh, like, like as you noted, my second sort of big album. In a, and, and, of course, you know, we didn't really know they were going to be big albums at the time. I, I had no idea. Yeah. You know. But, uh, uh you know, it was fun. It was, it was no doubt a lot of fun, but, you know, you know I, I think, I think, uh, you know, that, that album is, was almost like a, in terms of my solos on it, because that's all I did on Cause of Death was solos. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it, 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 in those terms, it was, uh, almost like, a a, a reaction, a counter reaction to what I did on, on spiritual healing. Because when I joined Spiritual Healing, I, you know, I was replacing Rick Ross, who, you know, did, does a lot of bar work, a lot of work with the Whammy Bar, and yeah. Chuck was like tired of that. He was like, "Oh, we just did an album where that's that's all the other guitar player did was bar stuff." So I don't even want there to be any bar on this album, you know. So I set that thing down, and I, I actually even lost it. I didn't even know where it was. So we we're in the studio. I didn't even have a I didn't have the a tremolo bar for my guitar. Now my guitars were equipped with tremolo systems, but I didn't have the bar to actually work operate them so um so that whole album spiritual healing except for one sort of what chuck called a grinder uh basically just hitting the, the low e string and diving you yeah. know there's one of those on the album it's uh it's sort of the demarcation line between my solo and mine or vice versa i don't remember on the title track spiritual healing there's this, this big grinder between mine and his solos and uh, we didn't even have a bar in the studio. So uh, once we had the idea to do that as the sole 
uh, you know, bar work on the album, uh, Scott Burns had to go into the uh, tech room at More Sound and right. uh, grab a Phillips head screwdriver, and I stuck that down in the hole, and that's how I did that. <laughs> but come to cause of death, and uh, uh, you know, I, I had the yeah, yeah, the the, the the screwdriver grinder is what that I call that thing. But uh, uh, <laughs> um, when it comes time to do cause of death. I, you know, I didn't have that restriction. I didn't have that limitation at all. And uh, I thought, okay, I want to show my, that I don't just, you know, hit squeals and wiggle the bar and make, you know, crazy Slayer sounds. I I have a, an expressive style with the bar, and I got, I got to show that a bit. Yeah. On, uh, you know, and so it was almost, a re, you know, a, a counter-reaction to, to spiritual healing. But I, lo- I, I do love both albums, and, uh, uh, and, I'm, and I'm proud of my contributions to both. Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, and and the Rick leaving and you joining, and the, the the difference in sound between spiritual healing and 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 leprosy, straight away as a fan of leprosy, and then hearing spiritual healing, it was like, right, this this, you know, there's there's a definite difference um, and a progression in the songwriting, um, and. That's why I think, you know, as, as, as a deaf fan at the time, it was like, wow, this is awesome. And then for you to leave so quickly afterwards, it was like, oh, shit. You know, that was, yeah. <laughs> th- those guys were onto something there. That's a real shame. Um, but yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, well, I mean, there's no doubt that Chuck and I butt heads, and so it was, it was, bound, it was bound to happen. The, the interesting thing is we didn't really butt heads too much at all until we went on tour and that's you know when you're just forced to live together in a yeah yeah that's always can driving down the road you know <laughs> yeah that's it it's, you're always that's always going to find out any tiny little problems they're all going to be magnified very quickly yeah um yeah yeah i mean if i if i if i were a little bit more mature at the time then perhaps it would have lasted longer but you know i i was i was fairly immature at the time and you know and headstrong you know and I, you know, I think that some of my actions were correct. You know, like refusing to not talk to certain people. I, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't do that. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, there's definitely things that I regret. You know, but would I want to change anything about my history so far? Really, in my life, probably about the only thing I would change is this damn tumor. You know, <laughs> and you know. Yeah, but you I. Know, things per- I mean, I, I, I still look at, you know, your. Um those early years i mean christ you, you know you were in two of the most influential death metal bands um ever and then you and 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 then you uh you go and play in a in a legacy thrash metal band as well yep yep i mean so how did how did you end up hooking up with testament oh well, after i did my band disincarnate um uh, so, you know, we, uh, I decided to do my own band after leaving Obituary, and that's how Disincarnate was born, and, you know, we did an album, and, uh, yeah. um, and, uh, toured, and, you know, we had a rough, uh, you gotta understand, it was 1993. Yeah. And, uh, you know what was happening then? <laughs> yeah. Labels, labels were dumping death metal bands left and right. We were on the chopping block at Roadrunner. Yeah. They did they didn't. They didn't want to, as a matter of course, necessarily exercise our second option. They wanted to hear demos, and so we were very likely could have found ourselves without a deal, like so many newer death metal bands at that time. And uh, and uh, so we went and did it. You know, we went and did the tour though, and it was really, really rough. It was a difficult tour. Yeah, the most difficult I had ever done to that point, and I had done a number of tours 
at that point. I had I had toured with Agent Steel in Europe. Uh, I had toured with Death in the United States. I had toured with Bituary twice across the United States and once all over Europe. Um, you know, of course, and I'm, when I say United States, I'm actually I mean Canada as well. So I should say I should specify North America. You know, I'd been down in South, you know, down in South America, you know, and everything. And uh, but you know, we came home, you know, seriously in the red. Yeah, and seriously hating life, and a cup because you know I I had I had made a conscious decision to hire young guys, really young guys, for a number of reasons. You know, I wanted guys that didn't have family entanglements that didn't, like, have lots of bills and stuff that they had to pay at home so that they'd be able to more likely go on tour and be able to deal with it and rough it. And also, so they would be a little bit, you know, somewhat really too opinionated and maybe, you know, at that time, I just didn't want to argue with anybody. I wanted to bring my vision forward, you yeah. know. So I picked these young guys, but the net result of that is that being their first tour ever and it being really rough and then being that age where they were just freshly out of high school and still making up the mind what they... A couple of them decided, you know what? We think we're just going to go to college now. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Unreal. So I, I'm sitting at home. I eventually, I eventually had to get a, a a real job. I started working at a at a place that uh, developed. Uh, it's, it's funny to say this in 2017 because almost none of them exist. But in 1993, I was working at a place that made a specialized. Uh, pay phones that had like extra like computerized stuff inside them that help it's, it's allowed that it was like a whole new thing that they thought was going to be a huge thing and i was working there and uh just hating life after the tour trying to further with the drummer and working on some new uh material but that was it you know i had, I had, had to give up my apartment because we ate so much shit on the tour and I, I moved back in with some family and was just hating life, working this damn warehouse. You know, I mean, this, you know, this this job at this payphone place in a, in a warehouse. And uh, I get a call one day, and it's Mike Gitter on the phone. Oh right, I'm sure you know Mike Gitter. Yeah, that's a name I yeah. haven't heard well, in a while, but yeah, I know. Yeah, well, name. you remember back in those days, before '93, before '92, you know, in the, in the late '80s and early '90s, Mike was a music journalist. Yeah. So he had interviewed me a number of times. Uh, you know, from from going way back, you know, and so I knew him from that. And he goes, "Hey, James, my getter." You know, he says his name really fast like that. My getter. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I'm working at. Uh, I'm actually working A and R at Atlantic Records now. I'm like, oh, cool, right on, man. So I guess you're not calling for an interview. So how you doing? I thought he was just calling to catch up. You know. Yeah. Um, people did that from time to time back then because there was no internet. You yeah, know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 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 so I thought that's what it was. I thought it was just a social call to catch up. He goes, yeah, um, I, I want to run something by you. How would you feel about playing guitar for Testament? And, it was, and I had, all of a sudden, the light goes off. Okay, he's A&R at Atlantic. He must be repping Testament. And I know that Alex recently just left Testament. And they they had just done this sort of live EP thing with Glenn Alvalize from Forbidden. And I was like, I, I guess Glenn isn't a permanent replacement. Maybe, you know, they're interested. And I said, I feel great about that. I feel absolutely great about that. Yeah. Because, you know, my band is struggling right now, and uh, I love Testament, you know. And so, uh, so he said, all right, great. I'm going to have Eric call you. And, you know, within a, within a couple of days, Eric will call you. Well, he called me later that day, and uh, probably within an hour or two. And uh, the next thing I know, he's sending me out a, a four-track cassette that has a, a very rough demo of Dog's Face Gods with one of the tracks still open, you know. Or I think it was a bounce. So I had a couple of tracks to work with. 
and uh, I had pretty much the same four track set, you know, recorder. So I popped it in there and I wrote my solo for the song Dog Face God and recorded it, sent it off to them. Um, they loved it. And so they flew me out for an audition. Uh, they gave me like a week to learn uh, uh, a set of songs. I, I jumped on it, learned them, and uh, flew out to the audition and got the, and got the gig. And uh, uh, the solo that I wrote for, on that cassette demo of Dogface Gods uh, pretty much survived intact to the album. I played it almost ex- almost exactly the same way. Right. Okay. So that that just sounds like it, it, that's the music business, though, isn't it? You know, that is ultimately that is the music business. It's like you know, you know people, and they know people, and you know, yeah, you, you get yeah. a call sometime, and there you go. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly the case. You just got to get out. You just got to get out there. I mean, you know, that'd be my advice to 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 kids and just get out there and do your thing. Get out there and do your thing, and and you know, get get to know people. You never, you know, get to know people. Don't be an ass because you never know yeah. who is going to be in a position to make you some kind of great offer or not make it to you, as the case may be. Well, this is yeah. always this is always the thing as well about, um, especially in bands when they're like, oh, there's not many people. You know, if 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 you're playing a gig and there's not many people there, and it's like, oh, there's not many people here. Oh, and it's like, well, you never know yeah. who's in the you're audience. You're going to play poorly. That has always upset me. You know. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, because you never know who's in the audience. If you you could be playing yeah, in front of seventy people, and there could be two people in there that can change your life, and you can be playing exactly. to seventy thousand people, and no one's going to fucking help you. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, there's, I mean, you just never know. And I've, I've had to, I've had this conversation with a number of uh, people that I've played with over the years. They were just like, "Man, fuck it, I don't even give a shit about this show." I'm like, "Wrong attitude, dude. Wrong fucking attitude. You don't know. Not only do you not know who all these few people that are here out there are, you don't know who they might be in a year or two." Yeah, you know? absolutely. And then, and then there's of course, yeah. the, then there's of course the fact that every single one of them is paid, and it's not their fucking fault that, it, exactly. that it's a small it's not their crowd. Fault. Their fans, they showed up, they want a good show. You give them a good show, and then they go out and tell people. That's the other thing. You know, do you want do you want the, the thirty people that showed up to go out and say, yeah, you didn't miss nothing, or do you want them to go out and fucking tell all the friends that you fucked up missing that show? It was sick. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what you want. The latter, you know, every single time. So, well, I was and if anyone out there is listening to this, is the type of musician that gets all bummed when the crowd's small or doesn't seem to be getting into it enough, and you and it affects your performance. You might want to work on that because there's just a number of reasons why it's an incredibly bad idea. Give your all every single time. Well, also, I think you get from what you get from um, the, you know. Audio, you know, crowds aren't stupid. They know there's not many people there. When they and so when you come out and play it like it's fucking packed, they take that away. They go, they could have come on and they could have just gone, oh, there's not many people here. But they came on and they played the play. They played it like it was packed, you know, and they absolutely smashed it. Exactly. And I think it makes even exactly. more of an impression that way. There's one. There's one thing though that I don't like about when a band comes out to a small crowd and plays it like it's packed. It's almost like some, there's a way of doing that, yeah. the right way of doing that, which I think we're both talking about right now. Yes, I know exactly what you're going to say. There's a wrong way of doing that. <laughs> yeah. The wrong way of doing that is yeah. you come out and you're basically talking over the heads of your audience. You're not yeah. connecting them at all because you got this imaginary stadium crowd that you're talking to. And you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the, it, you're yeah. pointing at people that aren't even there. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're acting like... 
you know, let me hear you. I can't hear you. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You're it's not um, going to. It's only 30 people. Just talk to the people, man. React to them, you know what the, I mean? Yeah. The people that are actually there. They That's go it. nuts. You know, that's it. Well, it's, it's yeah. Those, those people are the ones who are you know who are in denial, basically. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, living in the dream world. You can come out and play your best show, freaking ever, to a small crowd and connect with that small crowd on the level of the size that it is. You know what I mean? And yeah, absolutely. Give them everything. Leave it all on the stage. You know. Well, I mean, and, I've played. Uh, I, I mean, I've played. Um, uh, I mean, having spent as long as I have in in comedy, be, doing. One thing that it teaches you is, you know, you have to play the room. You play the room. You play the crowd. You know, you play and you have to cater your, um, you know, your set and everything to to that particular occasion. And that's something that it has, you know, has served me in such good stead over the years because it, it's, you know, stand up is so um, it, it, it's so revealing. I mean, you know, you, you know, compared to being in a band, it's like being up there naked um and uh, you know people straight away yeah. can tell if you're not well we call it connecting with the audience and if you if as a comedian if you don't connect with the audience you can have an absolutely killer set but it will not work because you haven't connected yeah. with them and i think that's what you're talking about there is like in musically it's those it's those people who are like like you say you know talking over the heads of the audience they're not connecting with the audience and that's exactly yeah and and that is just you know that's a huge no-no. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Yep, yep. And uh, uh, to to the extent that you can, I mean, obviously the uh, the vocalist, the singer is the main person that has to master that ability. And if they don't have it naturally, then that is something that needs to be worked on. And if you recognize that, anyone listening to this that recognizes that in their own band, work on that. <laughs> yeah. Work on that. Well, it's, it's important. It really is important. Well, it's, it, well, it's funny you should say that because um, uh, I just played a festival with the band two days ago, and um, we were supposed to be playing on a second stage, or um, you know, outdoors. All the stages were, all the stages ended up being closed because of horrendous weather. So we ended up playing in a in the beer tent, <laughs> um, and um, and like a drum riser, no stage, just on the grass. Um, and, you know, in a situation like that, it is, it's just like, you know, it's fight or flight. It's either, you know, if, you, if you're going to go out there and do it, you've got to do it and you've got to pull it off because it's just, you know, I mean, I was, I was singing through a guitar cab, for fuck's sake. Right, um, right. It, the whole thing was really just like, you know, put together because it was just, uh, it, yeah, it was biblical weather. It was like the end of days, man. <laughs> it really was. Um and you've got yeah you've got, you've you've just got to be able to handle whatever shit's thrown at you basically because yeah exactly you know, that again it's like it's not the crowd's fault that all the stages are closed it's not the crowd's fault that it's you know raining like the end of days it's not the crowd's fault that we can't yeah. get a PA into this tent you know and you've you've, you've just got to deliver yeah. you've just got to deliver under any circumstances you've got to deliver yep yep and uh, and and absolutely and, true and it's and and, and you know, go back to go back to your story. Of course, it, it, you kind of so you you did you did the first album, you did low, and of course, so you did the gathering as well, didn't you? I did. Yeah. So you, so and uh, and live at the Fillmore. Yeah. So so you you got to play with Dave Lombardo as well. Indeed. Yeah. That is so cool. 
Um, and you get and and so the way the whole testament thing finishes is the beginning of your of your medical issues. Yes. Yeah. Well, basically, they could tell something was wrong with me on that tour, and uh, you know, so you know, that's why I, I departed again after that tour. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the general feeling was, you know, you need to go get some help for whatever is wrong with you. Yeah. You know? That's, um, so. uh, and, that, and that's kind of, that's, that's a real shame, isn't it? Cause like you said, you know, the, the, the one thing, you know, you did that you change about your, about your life would be the whole, you know, tumor incident. And, uh, and it, and it, it, it yeah. kind of, yeah, that's put it, that just put a huge, I mean, it must have taken you years to get back on your feet. Oh, it did. Yeah, it did. And I still, you know, you know, I've, I've, I've rebuilt my life in many, many, many ways. But you know, I've had a couple of recurrences of, of health, you know, scares and various issues that you know always sort of put me on, uh, you know, put me on my back foot, which you know is, is, is a sucky place to be. But you know, nothing's ever knocked me down like that, like that tumor, like that original tumor. So yeah. And it, it it was rough to recover from, but you know I'm recovered. I'm you know when I'm when I'm not having a health issue, which unfortunately I'm still dealing with this gallbladder thing right now. I'm usually very 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 busy in the studio, and and uh, well yeah, I, you know I'm always play I'm always playing on something. You know I'm act, I'm actually just about to record uh, a couple solos and maybe more, definitely two, maybe more for the new gruesome LP. All right, cool. So yeah, because you're I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, because your credits list is just phenomenal. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, it's like you know, wow. You have um, yeah, you've you've um, and you. I, I didn't realize that you'd um, you produced the Hinderers, the Daff album. Oh yeah, yep. Now you see, I, I you know now, now there's a band that were totally underappreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really, I was a huge fan of uh, their first singer, the vocalist. I, I mean, nothing against the second singer. I just, I didn't know him and I didn't work with him. So I, I, I never had a chance to develop any rapport with him. But I had a really good rapport with the singer from the first album. And uh, uh, working with him and, and you know, and, uh, just a real creative guy. And it just, uh, you know, and the, the band's music was creative, was very creative, so... It was. I, I just liked it. So, something about it, you know, uh, uh, you know, stuck with me, and it and it led me to want to to you know sort of help them get a deal, which I did. Yeah, but well, that's that's cool. I didn't realize that. Yep. Yep. So, what you just you you had a, you had a demo, or, or you know they they were using your studio. How did that come about? No, no, they. Uh, 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 one of the main guys of the band uh, had his own uh, studio set up. Um, uh, is from a fairly wealthy family, so he had a lot of good gear, you know, piled into the bottom of this uh, really nice two-story house. And uh, he contacted me and said he wanted to hire me to do their new album, his, his new album with his band. And he he let me hear a couple of tracks off their first album that they had done completely by themselves. And it was it was a very rough effort, but I recognized the creativity there. I, I, some of the things just really struck me, and I was like, okay, great, yeah, I'd love to. And so uh, uh, I went up there to Atlanta and uh, worked out of their studio and uh, recorded the uh, the album. Now, they had already done all the drums um, except for two tracks, so I only recorded 
two tracks of the drums, and those are the ones Kevin Talley played on. And uh, and the rest of it, you know, we re- we recorded, you know, from scratch again there at the uh, at that studio in Atlanta. And then I did a mix, and uh, then we used that mix. They actually produced some CDs with my mix, full CDs with my mix, I believe. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I do. I still have some of them, um, and we used those to shop them a record deal. And uh, I was able to uh, get uh, you know Monty at Roadrunner interested in them, and I sort of just worked on that until we cinched the deal. And then uh, once they got the deal, they uh, uh, they started talking about, well, you know, you produced it. Maybe we'll have somebody else. Uh, Maybe we get you know get a different mixer now, you know try to you know get a new mix yeah. and uh, so uh, uh, yeah so they got uh, Colin Richardson to mix it and uh, and there you go there's the actual album that people know there's also a version of the album out with my with the original mix I did um uh, you know I did that on a you know on a fairly small budget and yeah. uh, and uh, you know with with a lot you know a lot of various restrictions on me so. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it's a cool mix. It's sort of like a, a historical thing to have if you if you want one. Maybe I can send it to you. Uh, it's, it, oh yeah, it's a whole album you. with a couple of different songs. It's missing a few songs that are on the Roadrunner version of the Hinderers. It's it's uh, and it has a few other songs that aren't on the Roadrunner version of the Hinderers. And uh, you know, it's just a whole. Dip. It's it's more like the demo version of the album. So I mixed the demo version of the album. Well, dude, I then, would I, yeah no. I then would. I produced I produced the Roadrunner version. Colin mixed and I think Ted Jensen mastered. So, well, I would no. I, I, that's a very kind offer, and I'll bite your hand off. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. I really, really would. That'd be awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, you know, like I said, it's it's kind of like a demo version, but uh, it you know, it's pretty cool because you know it does have extra tracks. Yeah, no, different, that's some different tracks. No, that, that's that's cool as fuck. That's certainly not something I thought was going to come out of this um, out of this chat. <laughs> that's yeah, <no> fantastic. <laughs> It's weird though because they they always they came across to me as they were they were like they were like you know they're, they're very much and you get this occasionally they were a musicians band it's like you know a, a bands would you'd hear bands going oh have you heard, oh yeah you know, have you heard that it's fucking great and all that. but the 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 public just never seemed to to warm to them yeah yeah well you know uh, uh, Abel Wurstler is uh, you know one of the you uh, know best. You know, guitarists that played in metal during that time period. You know, yeah, he's really amazing player. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what he's doing these days, but Emil uh, Emil Versler is a pretty amazing guitarist, and uh, uh, the bass player. Um, I don't know why I'm spacing on his name, but he's a really good, really good bass player. They were, they were definitely very, very solid man. Very, very, very good musicians. Those guys. Well, I'm going to I'm 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 able to help you out as regards um uh Emil. Yeah, yeah, Emil Emil yeah. Yeah. Um do you listen to podcasts at all? Uh uh yeah, I I have a few favorite pop- podcasts that I listen to daily. Yeah. Okay. Um well, maybe one you want to find is called The Metal Podcast. Um and it's a guy called. It's hosted by these two guys called Chuck and Godless. They used to. They did the Metal Sucks podcast for about three and a half years. They're re- really cool guys. I've had them, had them on my show, and I've met Godless a few times. And um, uh, he is the guest on their most recent episode. 
Um, and you can find out all about what he's up to. It's a really, really interesting interview. All right, cool, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll fire, you, I'll fire you a link across to that, and that can remind you to send me the Darth stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, no problem. Because yeah. uh, I'm never going to let you forget that now. Yeah, that's that's got to happen. Oh yeah, no, no worries, dude. I, I honestly, I think I have a box full of them in my closet. Oh my god! Stop it! <laughs> this is fucking awesome. Oh, no, I'm a sucker for a CD. I mean, you know, it's it's still my it's still my uh, format of choice. Um, yeah, you you you, you, could, you should see my collection. It's ridiculous. Uh, Howard, I assume this is not live since it's a podcast. So that's right. And, and that you, and that you, in fact, edit. So, could I ask you for about thirty seconds? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Because cause what I'm going to do is, um, uh, yeah, I'll just pause this a sec. All right. Well, uh, that's awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, no, it's still my format of choice. I've got a, um, uh, I got a new car recently, and it's a 2013 model, and it's it's just before they they gave it a facelift and when they gave it a facelift they removed the cd player um oh yeah so it's it's potentially so it's, it may be the last car i ever have with a cd player i'm like i i'm i just i, I can't imagine not having a cd player in a car because it's i just i yeah. love blasting yeah, it's, it's upsetting to me the passing of the cd into into history but I don't know. There's still gobs of them being made, and you can still buy them. Every album is still available on CD. So, yeah, yeah. As much as we keep hearing it's a dead format and all the rest of it, yeah, is... they, they still keep making them, and that it still keeps outselling, you know, er, you know, most, you know, other shit, other shit. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, and and well, you know, you've got to thank the Germans. Germany is single-handedly keeping fucking physical products alive. Um, no, nice, nice. The, yeah, the German the German marketplace is completely unaware that there's a crisis on music or that it's available um, online. Um, you know, it, <laughs> it's it's insane. I was talking to um, Brian Slagle, um, and he was saying that like Germany accounts for about seventy percent of all physical product his label sells. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know it's incredible. I, I, mean, I feel it, like kids are missing out these days, and the the really. Uh... The lame thing about the passing, you know, because you know, I've always been one for progress. I'm fine with progress, but of course, you know, MP3s and streaming, it's it, it's not the same quality as as uh, uh, the CD. No, it's definitely a lack of quality. You can hear it. Some people claim they can't. Well, that's it's not my fault. They got shit hearing. You know, yeah. <laughs> no discernment, but you can absolutely hear it. But uh, but you know, but people talk about well, you can get slack or you know, internet speeds and storage. Uh, you know, uh, you know, drives and stuff are cheap enough now. You know, and storage, everything's so cheap and so fast and so advanced now that you can just do full, you know, full resolution waves. You know, or FLAC. You know, FLAC is still lossy. Doesn't matter. You know, um, uh, it's not as lossy as MP3, of course, but it's still lossy. But you know, full you, you get full resolution waves, all that sort of thing. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but uh, at the end of the day the ready availability of all this stuff has not only downgraded the listening experience to, you know, earbuds and little mono USB speakers people are streaming to off their phones or what have you. Yeah. Um, but it, it has just devalued music as a part of culture. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it used to be such a crucial part of culture, and now it's almost like a disposable part of culture. It's still... 
I mean, there's more music being made and, and, and used than at any other point in history, but that's simply because, you know, there, there are tools out there for people to make music on the cheap, you know, now, where you know, they used to have to go to a studio and spend a lot of money. But uh, uh, the, the net result is there's just too much out there. It's just a glut. And with the technology and, and streaming and, and downloading, illegal downloading, all that stuff, it's just uh, it's such a disposable thing now. People don't really sit and listen to albums through anymore. And oh, I, yeah. I guess I shouldn't say that people don't do that. There are people that do that, but it's far less. It used to be, that used to be the de facto way that you, people consumed music, you know. Well, and, yeah. Uh, and it, now and, it's very much more rare. Well, also, I mean, um, you know, there's there's the, the concept playlists are you know are, are more important now. Um, uh, I, I hate that. I hate playlists. Yeah, I hate that. I want to hear an album start to finish. Well, I I, I want to hear. That's the way I listen to music. That's the way I listen to music still, and that makes me an old you know an old fucker, I guess you know, but. Well, well, we're we're two old fuckers because I do exactly the same. I mean, it's like you know, I'll 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 put a CD in on the in the car, or uh, or if I'm or if I'm listening to uh, listening to an album, you know, on my phone, I will listen to the whole album. You know, I'd, I'm shuffle is not really yeah. a feature that plays any part in my life. Same here, same here. I like to listen to the album in order as it was intended. Yes, and absolutely. I think there's value to that. I think there's value to that, and. <laughs> While it may be hard to quantify that to a to a really young millennial who's never had that experience, um, has never done it, they should give it a try. They should try listening to albums. I don't necessarily mean vinyl, vinyl or CD, whichever, and just sitting and listening. The way I became a musician, I was a musician in my mind and in my heart and in my soul long before I had a guitar to learn how to play. And I had an understanding of music, an innate understanding of music but it had nothing to do with schooling because of the way i listened to music i sat in a dark room like when i was about seven eight years old and and on up i would just sit in my room with the lights off headphones on my little piece of shit turntable with the headphones plugged directly into it yeah just spinning records and i would listen to side a and then side b sometimes i'd listen to it again i'd do it twice and i you know yeah, and I and I I did that, and I I so took in the music because I just sat there with my eyes closed and just listened intently and absorbed it intently, you know. And yeah. so you know, by the time I ever got a guitar, you know, I could I understood what guitar playing was supposed to sound like. I understood rhythm. I understood you know lead playing and melody. I understood it. I understood what vibrato was, even though I didn't know the term for it. I understood it the first time I ever. You know, tried to play a vibrato. I knew how I knew how to make it sound because I had been listening to amazing player. You know, guys with amazing vibrato like Angus Young and you know, you know Jimi Hendrix. You know, over and over and over and over again, and absorbing that. You yeah. know, and I, I just don't. You know, I think it's more like a background experience for for a lot of people these days. It's just a background experience. They throw it on while they're doing other things or. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I, maybe they throw it on. Maybe they listen pretty intently sometimes, but and it was an all-day experience for me. I don't spend my whole day doing that. You know. Well, I've, I've, um, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I can't, I, unless, unless I'm listening to something that I know really well, um, I can't do anything else. I have to, I, it, and it, it's not that it's not that I can't multitask. It's that I don't want to. It's that 
Yeah, if, exactly. You, you know, exactly. I, I, you I want, want to focus. You want to hear what's there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can't, really peel back, you can't really peel back the layers on something unless you listen to it intently like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, I, you know, I mean, I'd do exactly the same as you. I, you know, if I got a new album, I still remember to this day, it's crystal clear in my mind, um, of uh, where the day I got, um, well, funnily enough, in the UK, Master of Puppets and Spreading the Disease came out on the same day. Um, so I remember, but I remember coming home and I remember like taking Master of Puppets out of, out of the sleeve, putting it on and just sitting on my bed and just listening and reading the lyrics like, and that's it for the whole, for, for the what, whole night, two or three times. What was the other album? Uh, Master of Puppets and Spreading the Disease. Got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I literally just. Yeah, that was an amazing time. That was just an amazing time, and there, there wasn't so much. You know, there's just so much now, man. And yeah. It's ridiculous. You know, there's there's almost more labels now than there were albums out back then. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, like, like, there's more labels to choose from. Their entire new set of new releases every month than there were new releases every month. Yeah. Yeah, back I, in the day, you know what I mean. That's what it seems like to me. Like we used to go, and there'd be, you know, there'd be, you know, two or three really cool new releases a month, and we, we'd get them. You know, now there's yeah. like, man, there's twenty labels. You know, more, you know, more. You know, putting out several releases at all. I, I, you know, I'm sure my figures are off, but it seems like that. It just seems like there's just way too much to choose from now. So that experience of just listening to albums and listening to them intently and absorbing them and, and you know, one song is coming out under one, you know, title and speak of it in terms of, well, there's really no reason to do an album now. You can just do every, you know, every couple months, just do a, a, a single or two or three, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and then just put them out as singles and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, can you imagine, can you just even Feature in your mind the amount of amazing deep cut tracks that we never would have had. We would never have to enjoy to this day. Yeah. It turned out to be amazing, amazing songs, but they weren't written as the singles by these bands, you know? Yeah. They were just written because they were written because they were in a room together for a month or two writing fucking music and they had to come up with eight, nine, ten songs. And well, and they kept going until they did. And some of the and like, oh, we got our singles now. We need two or three more songs, four or five more songs, whatever. And they just keep writing, you know. Well, it's interesting. Sure, some of those are turds sometimes, but <laughs> some of those cuts are amazing. I, I, I would, you know, if someone, I would weep at the songs we would lose. Yeah. Well, the thing by is, losing the album paradigm. Well, that period, is. You know, it's it, it's it interesting. Sucks. It's interesting that you raise that because I've heard that as well. But by the same token, I think there's the, the, the possibly the people who are going to keep the album format alive are um, uh, are promoters and live bookers because um, really now, yeah. it, really now, you know, if you turn around to a promoter or a live book or anyone like that, and you, or you want to get on a big festival, and you know, first question, you know, so, well, what you, you know, what what are you what are you pushing? What are you promoting? They couldn't give a fuck about an EP or a couple of singles. They want to hear that you've got a new album to push, and then they'll consider putting you on the bill. And if you haven't, hit the fucking exactly. Mix. You know exactly. Yeah, that, that's another that's another aspect of it. And I think that has been a big thing towards keeping towards keeping it alive because you know the obviously labels want to keep their bands on 
on tour, you know? Yeah. And obviously that's the most profitable thing to sell on a unit-per-unit unit basis is the album, you know, the full-length, the full-length. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so hopefully those factors will keep it alive, you know, I mean... Uh, We'll see. We'll see what happens. You know. Um, well, the weird thing one is, one of the biggest proponents of moving in that direction that I know of continues himself to release LPs. So, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, that when you, <laughs> when you hear about the, um, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like when you hear about that. Oh, we're going to get rid of the album. You know, it, it, and we were just saying about you know promoters want to hear um, bands have got an album, but also. The other thing is, what's become more important now than ever, as as you know, is merch. And nobody is buying merch of fucking singles. They want to buy merch of an album cover. They want to, you know, that's what yep. they want. And and so now merch is, let's face it, more important than the music. The music is there just exactly, to tempt, exactly. You know, it's there to tempt people into the venue. So you will buy merch, and the merch needs to reflect some new design. And the new design has got to be an album. There's got to be somewhere, you know. There's got to be some some feature art to be able to hang your your new collection on. And that's exactly come... because people are going to be compelled to buy something like that because they are invested in it. Yeah, they, and they're invested in their time, and if, if nothing else, their their time and their attention and their you know. And who invests that much time or attention to a single here or there? Yeah, you know, you, you burn out on a single and you need to dispose it. Singles are disposable. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, with the single, the only good job of a single to me, I mean, obviously, if I were uh, in the record business on that and the label side, if I were, you know, if I ran a label, um, if I were the uh, CFO of a, of a label, I would uh, obviously be interested in, uh, you know, whatever, you know, sell as many singles as we can, you know. Yeah. But fr from a musician standpoint, you know, I mean, from their point of view, the, the, the job of the single is to make them money and and to hook hook the person to the album. For me, I'm only interested in the hook to the album. You know, if that if a single goes out there and hooks someone to the album, then awesome. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. You should be but able it's... to make a coherent album. You know. Well, I mean, I, well, my my band came back in 2015, and we put a new we put a new single out. And we put a new single out earlier this year. But all anybody is interested in is. When's the album coming? When's the album? When's the new album? Right, when are we getting right. an album? When are we getting an album? No one's, no one has said, oh, when are you going to release another new song? Not interested. When's the album? Exactly, exactly. And that I, I see that attitude too from everybody, which really makes me scratch my head where all this talk is coming from of the death of the album and the rise of the, you know, just singles. Yeah, but maybe... I, I can only think, I can only imagine that it must be coming from the dance, you know, dance, uh, you know, uh, market i was just gonna say that maybe it's the metal community that we're that, that we find ourselves in that are so dedicated towards yeah. the album and it's the it's the it's the other genres who are kind of going like well yeah can we get away with not making an album um but i you know I, perhaps perhaps yeah i think the, uh, the 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 um the death of the album has been greatly exaggerated yeah 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 pretty pretty much as the death of vinyl was <laughs> All those years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's about making its car. I, I, hey, look, I, I bought a turntable um, about 18 months ago. Um, nice, nice. I've never not had a turntable since 
six, I think. <laughs> right, I went, I went completely CD. I went completely CD, and then, uh, and yeah, eighteen months ago, I ended up buying a turntable, and yeah, I just, I couldn't believe it. I really could. It was just like, oh my god, it just. I was re- I was at a friend's house, and I set her, I set her um, stereo up for her. And she had Dead Kennedy's Fresh Fruit for Rotten Vegetables in her collection. I said, oh, can we can we put this on to, to like, test the, the stereo? She was like, yeah. So I took it out, I put it on the turntable, and I put the needle on it. And just while I was doing that, it just took me back to being a kid. I was just like, oh, my God. Exactly. This, this is yeah, exactly. unbelievable. Something about dropping that needle, man. It was the closest thing I've had to a religious experience. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like de- deja vu of... of- you know, however old I was, you know, young, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, grade school me, you know, peeking out the window to make sure my dad's car wasn't there <laughs> and checking, checking the clock to figure out how many more hours before he came home. Then going over and firing up his stereo, pulling out one of either his records or mine and dropping it on that turntable and then carefully dropping that needle, you know, yeah. and just that deja vu feeling you get that I get of that just takes me right back to the 70s man and do you know what do you want you've just reminded me as well of the of the game of russian roulette that you would play if you were if you were playing i i played a couple of my sister's records when she was out you played your dad's records when he was out you are playing a game of russian roulette there because you <laughs> it's like if you scratch this thing they'll know and they'll know how it got scratched <laughs> Exactly, exactly. To be so careful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But some somehow, no matter how well you look after vinyl, it's gonna get fucking scratched. It's gonna happen. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately. That's the one thing that I mean. I you know I love my music dearly, and that's the one thing I don't like about vinyl is is like that, that time when you're putting you know put the needle on and you get to a part of the song and all of a sudden there's a scratch on it and. And yep, you get a skip. Ugh. Yeah, ah, oh, oh, a jump, a jump. That's just you know, that is just head in hands moment. That really is. Yep. I mean, I and yep. and and I've loved. You know, I'm. I'm gonna, I must have bought. I remember when Rain and Blood came out, and it was cut so loud that the stylus would jump out the grooves. And I must have bought three or four copies of that fucking thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I swear it was. I swear it was a marketing thing. Um, and that wasn't cheap because yeah, yeah, Rain yeah. and Blood couldn't get a release over here. That was that was an import album um, because wow. it, well, it was all, there was all. Well, I bet whoever made that decision was kicking themselves after how how successful it was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is that it ended up coming out on London Records, but the thing is, when because of the controversy regarding Angel of Death when it came out in the states, nobody would touch it. Nobody would fucking touch it. So right, right. So and and it, yeah, it eventually came out on a totally not metal label. Um, by which time I had yeah. my, you know, it, my... Pro- it, it probably sold like crazy, and then that's when those particular people learned that marketing lesson that marketers have to relearn every so often. Is that sometimes the worst controversies are the biggest driver of sales. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, Slayer ended up doing. Slayer ended up touring Rain in Blood in the UK. Had a sold out UK tour based on an album that was not available in the UK. Wow. And and you know, yeah, just another door that they you know kicked down for everybody. But it was just like yep. you know, wow, that was that was you know. No, I, I remember it used to be way more touchy about what was acceptable in an album cover or not. I don't know. If- I'm sure you remember back when Spiritual Healing came out, which was February of 1990. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if they did this in the UK. I don't even know if you had, I don't think you had these in the UK. But in the States, there was a packaging, a type of packaging for CDs called the long box. Yes, yeah, I, re I remember the long box. Yeah, and uh, the long box for spiritual healing, I remember, because and, and also the cassette, when it first came out, it, that's the only way you could get it in the States, was in the long box, uh, if you wanted the CD. A big, big cardboard box that was like yeah. more, more than twice as tall as the CD itself was. Yeah. And uh, had a lot of empty space in there. You basically ripped it open, or you know, and pulled the CD out. Oh yeah, there, and, was, the, there the, was no packaging place back then. The cover art. The long boxes always featured the cover art. Yeah. But the cassette and the long box of spiritual healing, in a, not every market, but in a number of markets in the states, it was covered with black. Wow. There was a black sheet covering it. Right. The spiritual healing album cover was considered too controversial. <laughs> in many markets in the United States. And yet, and yet you look at it now because and it, it looks like a harmless a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was a negative representation of religion, specifically of the of a Christian religion. Yeah, yeah, Christian yeah. Sect, you know, it was basically that sort of Southern Baptist laying of hands, you know, sort of, you know, faith healing yeah. type of sect, which is still strong here. You know, and certainly in 1990, they were strong enough, powerful enough still, and had enough influence politically that uh, a lot of, uh, 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 you know, uh, they decided for a lot of regions to insert that black sheet to cover the artwork, and then they just put a sticker that just said death. It didn't have the logo. It just said death in, like, a bold lettering. Right. Spiritual healing. And I, I actually still have one of those long boxes sealed with the, you know, I'll send you a pic of it. Oh, man, dude, that's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. Still still sealed up. It's oh, amazing. man, that's amazing. Because over in the UK, whenever whenever you got a, a, whenever you got an American import, a, a long box American import, that was just like, oh, this is this is incredible. Because as you say, we didn't we didn't do them over here. I mean, can you imagine doing yeah. long boxes now? The packaging police would be after you straight away, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah, How many yeah, trees yeah. have had to die for your CD long box? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, mean, I don't miss them, they, you know, but uh, they were cool. They were cool. Oh, they yeah. They did need to go. Environmentally, they did need to go, and I'm glad they did, but they were. that doesn't change the fact that they were cool as shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh man! Well, look, um, James, it's it's been an absolute delight having this chat with you, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, uh, and I, I'm, look, I know there's going to be a great reaction to this. Um, and uh, you know, I've, we'll have to do this again sometime because I feel, I, I feel like we could have probably carried on for another good few hours. Um, but um, yeah, no problem. Uh, um, you know, if uh, if you want any of my info, you know, if you want to use any of my info, so people can you know want to contact me for various things. Uh, yeah, well, do, just that I do. You know that I do. Like, uh, you know, I'm often available for the right projects uh, for for uh, you know guest work, guest uh, musician work, and uh, and of course I am a producer, mixer, and mastering engineer. So cool. So how do you how do people get hold of you with my own studio? Um, uh, the easiest way probably is Facebook. I have uh, my personal Facebook, which is uh, you know facebook.com slash James Murphy producer. Then you can also find my studio page, uh, which is uh, Safe House Production. 
Cool. All right, man. Yeah. And uh, so fa- Facebook is really probably the best way, Safe House Production. Cool. Okay. And, and, and my email, james at safehouseproduction.com. And that's safe house, like, uh, you know, I got it from the, because I have kind of like a compound out here, and so I got it from uh, movies where they, the spies or the, you know, agents go back to the safe house after an operation, you know. So yeah. It's the, uh, just safe house production, singular. Cool, man. That's awesome. Dot com. That's awesome. Well, look, thank you, Mary. Thanks again for your time. I am going to send you a link to that interview. Um, uh, please do send me the, um, the 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 picture of the long box and uh, and the and the Daft album. Will do. Awesome. Thank you very much, James. I'm sure we're going to be. I'm sure we're going to speak again sometime. And um, uh, look, you know, any any time any time you need any stand up comedy or some dodgy thrash vocals, you just yeah. give me a shout. Link, link me, link me to some of your stand-up. Uh, what do you consider, you know, your best stuff that I, you know, because I, I love stand-up. It's it's quite freaky because I do a character that is uh, a professional Yorkshireman. So it's um, a professional what? A professional Yorkshireman. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's kind of odd. I'll I'll send you the website. So, well, I mean, is is I'm 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 dusty on my uh, UK geography. Is Yorkshire in the north? Uh, yes, it is. Basically, think all of, right. So basically, you're playing, a, playing a northern bastard. All right. Yeah, yeah. Basically, think of Yorkshire. Is the is the the American equivalent would be Texas. There you go. Okay, so basically, uh, Yorkshireman is based somebody who thinks Yorkshire is the greatest place on earth, despite the fact they've never ever been anywhere else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I, I would say a lot of Americans are like that. Where a lot of Americans are really. Never been anywhere outside of the country, but they're dead sure we're the best. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I, I love my country, but hey, man, you know, get out and go see, see the world. <laughs> oh, nothing broadens the mind like travel. That's for sure, man. Yeah, indeed. Okay, all dude, right, my friend. Thanks, Howard. Not I'll, at all. Thank you. From you. It's brilliant. I will and, send uh, you. So I'm going to send you a link to that interview now. Oh, you uh, uh, to what? To which interview? Um, the. Uh, the interview with um, the guy from Daft, the guitarist. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 okay. I forgot what you were talking about for a moment there. All right, <laughs> cool. All right, no worries. I was say, don't you have to edit this? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I won't edit. I, I, I do, I do huge, huge podcasts. I'm, uh, and um, that's what people, you know, I'm, I, I, ref, I refuse to bend to modern trends of you must have a, your podcast must be an hour and no more than an hour, otherwise people won't listen to it. It's like, nah, fuck that. I'm gonna, I'm. You know, people can listen to it in bits and pieces and, you know, download it. And, yeah. you know, I mean, often I've, I've put out three, three and a half hour podcasts. Um, um, and, yeah. you know, and and people people do like that kind of content. It's just, again, you know, with the, the old death yeah, of the that's album. That's all I listen to in my car. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I listen to in my car now is podcasts. Uh, when I'm doing my, uh, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm mowing the, the yard or as I guess you guys would call it the garden. The, the lawn, I'm actually, mowing, mowing, the mowing the lawn. Outside. Yeah, mowing, mowing the lawn. We call it. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you guys call it? Cutting the garden or something like that? No, no mowing the lawn. Oh, you do call it mowing the lawn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's the same thing. Um, as all my British friends usually refer to my my yard as my garden. I don't know why because it's not. There's <laughs> 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 grass out there. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. I. But, well, uh, 
but yeah, yeah, I uh, I pretty much just listen to podcasts. I my my favorites are a trio of them that are done by the same people. Um, it's uh, 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 the scathing atheist, right? It's yeah, fucking fucking hilarious. Um, then they have a sister podcast called God Awful Movies, and basically they they all they watch a new Christian movie every week, right. and they and they then sit there and go through it scene by scene and tear it apart. It's just amazing. It's so funny, and uh, uh, they're hilarious. And they, and they have another one called the Skeptic Rat, which is sort of political, and it's also hilarious. Well, I'll, I'll definitely check those out, man. I'll definitely check those out. Um, yeah, the Scathing Atheist. That's the the first one you want to check out. Cool, man. Of course, if you're not an atheist, it's if you're religious, it's not for you. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it just so happens that I have um, atheist tattoos, so uh, yeah, I'm quite committed. Right, yeah, I'm quite committed go. to that premise. Well, you might, you might, you will probably enjoy the Scathing Atheist. Scathing Atheist, then they're hilarious. Brilliant. I'll listen to that. I, I will go and have a search for that now. Yeah, and then, then, then of course they mention their sister podcast a lot. God awful, God awful movies. Yeah, I think um, I think well, we've we've both we've both shared quite a lot. We've got we've got uh, we've got a few things to check out. Yep, yep, yep. All right, Bob, I'll let you go, and I'll I'll straight away I'll pull out those uh, long boxes and snap the pics and send them over to you. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks, Howard. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs> what a dude! And there you have it. Um, well, you've heard it. There's no need for me for me to go on about it, but. Um, what a conversation! What a what a what a chat! What a guy! Has I said at the end? I mean, I couldn't resist a little bit of enthusiasm at the end there, and I thought I'd leave that in because um, yes, um, it was. And and look, I will be posting the pictures he talks about the long boxes um, for those of us who remember them. Awesome for those of us who've not got a clue what they are. You will be seeing. I will. Um, I'll tweet those pictures out. I will put them on the Facebook page. Another reason to get involved on social media. Um, as you can probably tell from that, I, I try to do as little editing as possible. I want you guys to hear absolutely everything that happens. Same goes if I'm at a venue interviewing people. We, you know, I mean, the Phil Ryan interview I did the um, the other day. He's uh, go back and listen to that one. That's like there's people butting in and all sorts. Of this. Uh, but it's cool, man. It's cool. So anyway, um, uh, uh, in case you're wondering, and this is the first time you've listened, the tune you hit, that that crunching riff you heard at the very beginning, that is um, that is an Acid Rain song called Plan of the Damned. So feel free to go and check that out. Um, uh, and the new song, The Man Who Became Himself. I'm sorry, I can't resist a bit of self-plugging, but hey, that's what this that's what this is all about. Um, so look, I, I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, if it's your first time, please do come back, spread the word, as and, and all you know, all the bollockers who've been hanging in there all those years. Thanks continuously for your support. I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm re- I really hope you've enjoyed this um, this additional episode of Talking Bollocks. Um, it's a you know coming and now the normal podcasts do come in around three hours. For those of you, again, for those new new listeners, please tell people if they go, when am I going to have three hours spare to listen to something? Please do explain to them that you can listen to as much or as little as you like at a time, believe it or not. You don't have to put three hours aside and go, right, I'm going to listen to that podcast now. No, because funnily enough, you can listen to it at any point and most podcast apps, apps will just take you back to the point that you last listened. So, you know, duh, check it out. Anyway, to all of you new, to all of you old, to all of you who've been listening, really do appreciate it. And uh, please do help support the podcast just by spreading it. That's all. Just spreading the word. Maybe go on iTunes, slag me off, 
give us a good review whatever it is any reaction is better than no reaction at all thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure uh, wittering in your ears for the last few hours hope you enjoyed it take care see you next month see I always say see you next month like a fucking dick how the hell am I going to see you how are you going to see me it's not going to happen is it well it might do if we bump into each other but that's unlikely to so anyway I will speak to you at the end of the month cheers <laughs>